So listen, it's been an incredible joy to serve as the lead pastor here at City. And um, I want you to know that what makes pastoring such a joy is you. I can't tell you how many times in the past few months people have reached out with words of encouragement, with texts, with emails, with offers to take me to lunch or take me and my wife to dinner. And just so you know that whenever that happens, I just have one rule, I pray, you pay. That's how that works. But I think that's the 11th commandment found in Scripture. I'm not sure. But my wife always gets really frustrated when I say that. But it is pastor's appreciation day. So I'll take my freedom and say that again. But I can also tell you this, that my kids have felt incredibly loved at this church. And I want to tell you that I have colleagues who've experienced the exact opposite for their children. I've had colleagues whose churches have really just clobbered their kids. And I know that my kids will tell you that they felt incredibly loved, incredibly supported, uh, that they've never felt any condemnation whatsoever for being a pastor's kid here at City. And I can't thank you enough for that kind of love and support. Because I'll tell you, as with any parent, the way to the, a parent's heart is to love their kids. And you guys have loved and supported my children. And not only that, but you've loved and supported me and Fran over the years. And next year, it'll be 20 years that we've been serving here as the pastors of City Church. And so you guys have had it, made it an exact. Thank you very much for that. And you guys have made it a joy. It's been a joy to serve with this pastoral team. As you know, we're in a pastoral search for two other pastors, and um, we're excited about that. But it's just been a joy to serve with the board, serve with the pastors, serve with the lay leaders that really make City Church happen. And someone once said to me, they said, Pete, um, are you sure you're happy at City? And I said, well, I've been here almost 20 years. What do you think? And I'll tell you, in my industry, the tenure of a lead pastor is just over three years. Just over three years. An associate pastor is barely over two years. And a youth pastor is just shy of two years. And in my humble opinion, I don't really think you can get much done in three and a half years. I think you're just hitting your stride. So listen, thanks for having me. I appreciate that. But it's been a joy to serve as your pastor. So I would like to kind of shift gears now and go into the message that I've got uh, sort of on my heart for this morning. I'm well aware of what time it is, so it's going to be an abbreviated message. Is that okay? Wait a second, is that okay? When I was being mentored by a, a preacher once, he said to me, your sermon does not have to be eternal to be everlasting. That's what he said. So we're going to go with that phrase this morning. And so what we're going to talk about is um, this teaching series has been involved with remember. And what I want us to look at this morning is very simply this. Remember freedom. I want you to remember freedom. And in order to do that, we're going to look at one simple verse. And the simple verse is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Galatians 5, 1 on page 945 in the Bibles that we provide. And here's the scripture that I'd like for us to really ponder and settle into our hearts this morning. And the scripture is this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then... And do not let yourselves be burdened again by any yoke of slavery. Can we read this together out loud? Let's read this together out loud. Ready? It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In way of kind of looking at an abbreviated teaching this morning compared to what I was going to teach, really what you need to know in order to understand this verse, 
and then we're going to apply it to our lives. What you need to know is that the writer of this verse, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. Of the writers of the Newer Testament, he wrote more of the Newer Testament than anyone else. Now, to understand this verse, we have to understand the Apostle Paul and some of the people that he's writing this letter to. The Apostle Paul was what was known as a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a person who had leadership in the Jewish faith. And Pharisees in particular were a group of people who believed this. They believed that if the laws and the regulations, and the rules that governed the temple, that if those were lived every day in your private life and in your home, if you lived by all of those laws and all of those rules, then what was good for the temple, the center of worship for the Jewish faith, if what was good for that, that if you lived that way, it would be good and best for you in your private life as well. They also kind of had an underlying belief that if enough Jews lived by the laws and the rules and what was known as the teaching of the elders, which were even more laws and rules, that if you live by those, then God would bless you. That God would bring freedom to the nation of Israel. And so over time, it almost became as though they were the spiritual, moral police. Their passion, though was that if enough people lived this way by the rules and by the laws, that God would move and send the Messiah and he would free up the Israelite people. So in, in sort of basic level, there was a good notion to it. But it wasn't long before that all became so burdensome and it became so heavy. And the Pharisees literally became the spiritual moral police of the Jewish faith. And if you ever read the Newer Testament, maybe that you haven't, I would encourage you to. They were even being the moral police over Jesus saying, hey, your disciples healed someone on the Sabbath or they picked a little grain on the Sabbath. You can't do that. You're breaking the rules, Jesus. And there was this constant back and forth between him, between Jesus and the Pharisees over the law. Now, if you were to look at this verse, you would discover very quickly that the Apostle Paul says to those of us who are Christians and those of us who are followers of Jesus or those who were followers of Jesus during the time of Christ and with the first century church, the Apostle Paul says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm and make sure that you're not burdened again in slavery. Now, if you were to think about this, the Apostle Paul now moves and begins to say this. If your faith and your following Jesus is about rules and regulations, then you are not free. You're not free. You've just adopted a new set of rules and a new set of reg regulations because Paul viewed those rules and regulations that he lived by and that he enforced as a Pharisee as a form of bondage. It was a form of slavery. And in Jesus, the Apostle Paul had found incredible freedom. That he had been freed up from the rules and freed up from the regulations so that he could have a relationship with God that was filled with grace and mercy. Now we're not going to actually read the texts. Or read the verses, but if you were to read on from Galatians 5.1, here's what you would discover throughout that passage. That the Apostle Paul begins to set up different opposing ideas. One opposing idea that he sets up is this. It's the difference between the law and grace. That if you were to read on, you'd discover very quickly that he begins to juxtapose two concepts. One of them is law, and the other one is grace. The law is always performance-based. Always. Did you live by the law? Did you break the law? If you did, then God will retract from you. 
Grace, on the other hand, is what's called unmerited favor. Grace is when you get something that you do not deserve. And so what we discover is Paul sets up this juxtaposition between the law and grace. The law and grace. And Paul says, following those verses that says, do not go back into slavery, he announces this, that it's either going to be law or it's going to be grace in your relationship with God. The other thing that Paul sets up is this. You're either going to live by flesh or live by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be one or the other. If you live by the law, it will be all about human effort and flesh. That exertion where we say, I'm going to get it all right so that God will love me. I'm going to try extra hard so that God moves towards me. That's about law. That's about performance. The Apostle Paul then says, or it's about grace. It's about the Holy Spirit. And if I'm moving towards Jesus in grace, unmerited favor, the fact that I don't deserve Christ's love, I don't deserve what he did for me, and I move towards that, then what I find is the Holy Spirit empowers me to live this thing called life. Now, if you look at the two, and Paul breaks it down masterfully, what Paul says is this. It's either going to be law and flesh, or it's going to be grace and spirit. It's going to be one of the two. Now, let's push the pause button. Which camp are you in? Which one? Is it law and performance? Or is it grace and the Holy Spirit? Which is it? Now, Paul uses very confrontational language. He says this. If you're living by flesh and the law, you're actually in slavery. You're not free. If you're moving in grace and spirit then you're going to find freedom. But if you're moving through the flesh and into the law, what you'll discover is that you'll find defeat and depression and you'll find all of these things that Christ came to set us free from. Because he says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, so stand firm in that. Stand firm, don't move. Stand firm. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit differently. Here's what I know. Some of you, in your human relationships now, some of you are well aware of law, rules, and flesh. You're well aware of it. Can I put it bluntly this way? Some of you have grown up in homes where you know the love and the affection you get is based upon performance. You know that. You know that if you act up a certain way or you don't act perfectly or you don't do the best or you don't do all of these things that you can sense that love is slowly withheld. It slowly pulls back. I know even working with college students who are some of the highest uh, what you might say graded or the highest potential college students in the country. I've experienced it as a chaplain at Princeton. I've experienced it working with UVA students. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how high you get, you can never get high enough to feel like you've achieved and done enough to get love. Never. I remember dealing with a student at Princeton and the, some of the circumstances are switched a little bit because I just want to make sure no one could identify this person. But this individual was sitting first chair in the orchestra. They had a 4.0 at Princeton. They were in the political system at Princeton and student government. They were doing all of that stuff and to have that student come into my office and totally collapse. Sheer exhaustion. And I said, well, why don't you just take something off your plate? And in tears, they said, you don't understand. If I don't do all of this, my parents will reject me. They will speak ill of me to my face and to my relatives. They'll let me know I'm not good enough. 
I'm not trying hard enough, and why don't I do more? Now, that's an extreme example. But what I can tell you is a lot of us have grown up in that type of an atmosphere where love was a tool that was used. It was given and taken back. It was given and taken back so that we would behave a certain way and we would function a certain way. Listen to me carefully. That is law and that's flesh. Law and flesh. But others of us have grown up in a home where you were loved no matter what you did. You knew it. I'm going to give a quick shout out to one of my heroes, and that's my dad. When I was a junior in high school, I felt a call to ministry. Let me explain something to you. Not only did we have no Christians that we know of in my dad's lineage, we definitely did not have any pastors. Zero. None. So I can remember feeling a call into ministry, and my dad was not a believer at the time. He was not a follower of Jesus. He is now, but he was not then. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I feel a call into the ministry. Now, we had been talking about me becoming a lawyer. He was proud of that. But I remember coming to my father and saying, I'm feeling a call into the ministry. Now, I can't repeat in public exactly what he said. When he was done with that, he said, you know what? He said, Pete, whatever you want to do, I'm behind you. That's what you want to do. I've got you. I'm going to help pay for your college. I'm going to root for you as best I can. He said, I have no clue what it means to be a pastor. He didn't even go to church. But he said, I've got you. I'm behind you. Let me tell you something. When you know someone's got your back and they love you, Man, I'm telling you, you can attack hell with a squirt gun. Do you understand what I mean? Let me be honest. If you don't, let me tell you what. It won't matter how many hellfires you put out. You'll never feel good enough. You'll always feel less than. Your soul will be tortured. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to explain to anyone who would listen, it is for Christ And it's for Christ in his freedom that he came to set us free. You can't work hard enough to get it. You can't earn enough money to achieve it. You can't get high enough grades. You can't have the right body type. You can't, you can't, there's nothing you can do to earn it because he offers his love freely. It's something that we accept by faith. And it's something he offers to us by grace. And what the Apostle Paul says is make sure you stand firm in that. Don't move. Make sure your feet are firmly planted. What I know is some of us have yet to get there. We haven't accepted Jesus yet. We haven't looked at Christ and truly come to him yet. But some of us have. And even though our feet were once firmly planted, they no longer are. We feel like we've shaken a bit. We've drifted and we've begun to believe that maybe the law does have something to do with this. But it doesn't. To stand firm in Christ is to recognize it's because of his love for me and I stand firm in what he has done for me. I cannot add to it nor can I extract anything out of it and throw it away. But the other evening I had a humorous little illustration in front of me. I was at the UVA men's soccer match. And at the UVA men's soccer match, which is the real kind of football, I'm just going to put that out there. If you don't believe me, who won this weekend? Was it the football team or the... I know, that was too cold, too cold. Pray for UVA football. But our soccer team beat Notre Dame, who was ranked number two. And all God's people said... Thank you. But during halftime, they had this odd event. All of a sudden, halftime hits, and you're looking out on the field, and these people walk out, and they have these huge spheres around them. They're like these massive, clear bubbles. And they walk out there, and then the whistle blows, and they start ramming into each other. 
and people were bouncing back like 20 feet and people were running straight each other. There was a red team and a blue team and all of a sudden you just see people falling over and then it dawns on you when you fall over you have to stay down until one person's left and they won and we cheered and we all wanted to run out there and do that. It just looked awesome. Have you seen this on television anywhere? It was amazing. Well, the second thing they did was called king or queen. They took a round rope. They made about a 10-foot in diameter circle. And one individual from the red team got in the middle of that circle. And the other individual from the blue team got in the middle of that circle. And it was king or queen. And the goal was, was to bump that person out of the circle. Just run at them with that big 10-foot bubble and just run straight at them and send them flying. Well, I was cheering for the red team. I have no idea why, but I was. A red, 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 red. And the red person got bumped and fell right over. I'm like, come on, man. What's wrong with you? But here's what I can tell you. You got to stand firm. There are a lot of things bumping against us. A lot of them. There's a lot of things from your past that tries to bump you so that you do not stand firm. And I can promise you with the number of people in this auditorium, I guarantee you that some of you have come to Christ in your sin. He has forgiven you, but there's a whisper in the back of your ear that says, forgiveness works for everyone but you. You're the exception to the rule. There are no exceptions to that rule. If you have confessed and repented, it is forgiven. Stand firm. Stand firm. Not only this, God loves you because you're created in, your image, in his image, not because you've earned it, not because you've been the right person. He loves you because you are created in his image. And he loves you unconditionally, full of grace. But our purpose is to step into that freedom and to accept what Christ has for me. Others of us have stood firm, but some of our history and some of the stuff we were involved with has been knocking on our heart's door saying, come on back again. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul calls standing firm and then being leveraged free, he calls it a yoke of slavery at the end of that verse. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Don't get bumped out of the ring. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's what he says. He assimilates legalism and laws and rules with flesh and slavery. But it's incredible because any Jewish person that would have read that verse would have known what Paul was referencing. And it's this. That the Israelites had been in bondage to the Egyptians for centuries. They had cried out to God for a deliverer. The deliverer came. His name was Moses. And when Moses showed up, God miraculously began to move, and Moses began to set his people free. He began to set them free. And so out of miraculous intervention in a series of plagues, Moses leads his people out of slavery, and he's marching towards the promised land. And while he's marching towards the promised land, all of a sudden that transition from slavery to freedom, the people began to grumble. And what's amazing to me is here's what they said as they remembered the slavery and the torture and the brutality that they were exiting. It wasn't but maybe just a few months and here's what they began to say. Moses has brought us out into the wilderness to die. And they said, would that we have died by the Lord's hand back in Egypt. And here's what they remembered. We sat by the pots of meat and we ate bread to the full. And for you, you brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Yet God was feeding them every single day. Let me explain it this way. The freedom that Christ brings takes us from bondage and slavery and dysfunction and brokenness. And there is a transition to where Christ brings us into freedom and then we stand firm. But there are times where our memories will rework where we used to be. How about these 
Israelites that are exiting Egypt. They'd been tortured for 400 years or for millennia. And all of a sudden, they're moving into freedom. And as they move into freedom, they hit something that's difficult. And you know what they say? I want to go back to Egypt. And the picture they paint of Egypt is totally false. Completely inaccurate. But that's the picture that they're painting. We do the same. Christ sets us free. We find freedom. And then our minds, our flesh says, why don't we go back and try where we were one more time? Why don't we go and do that? Some of us sitting in this auditorium, you've stood firm in Jesus. But where you used to be has been calling. You've been listening. And you've been romanticizing what it was like to be there. What I would say to you, stand firm. Don't go back. Stay where you're at, because Christ has set you free. What I know is, though, especially for many of you here who are newer followers of Jesus, it's so easy to go back to the familiar. That's another thing that the Israelites were struggling with. They're moving towards freedom. God is setting them free, but what's familiar is back there. And every once in a while, there's that tug for them to where they say, hey, I think I want to go back to what was familiar because that's always easier. And what I would say to you as you transition into the freedom that Jesus has, stand firm. Do not go back. Stand firm. Now, if you were to read on in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul will tell you what it was like when you were back in slavery. Here's what he said. He writes, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, dissensions, factions, and envy. That's Galatians 5.20. That's what it was like when you were enslaved. And some of you say, there's environments in your life that are just like this. Those environments are filled with hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and there's selfishness. There's ambition that walks on people. There's dissensions. There's factions. There's envy. And some of you would say, that's the world in which I live from time to time. And Jesus says, I can set you free from that. In me, I will transform your heart and transform your life to where if not only do you have to be subjected to that, but some of those things are in you, I will set you free. You don't have to live with fits of rage and discord and jealousy. Christ can set you free. Reading on after that, here's what the Apostle Paul says. For those of us who move from flesh and the law to grace and the Spirit, here's what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And how many of us would rather live there? Come on, shout out. Be loud and proud. You want to live there. No one wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what? Here's what I'd like for my day. Hatred, rage, jealousy, fits of rage, selfishness, and how about a little dissension sprinkled on top and a lot of envy in case the other ones don't work? None of us. What I do know is some of us wake up to that every single day and you're not free. You're not free. But Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, can bring us love, joy, Peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, patience, self-control. And here's the last phrase that the Apostle Paul writes. And against such things, there is no law. None. No one wakes up and says, make a law against patience. But there is a speed limit. There's a law against impatience. And so when you look at this, Paul leads us in, and he says to you, whether you're young or you're old, there's a new way to do life. And the way to do that life is to come to Christ. And if you have chosen to be a follower of Jesus, then stand firm. 
Don't waver. Sink down. Anchor yourself. Let your faith take root. And do not be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. Keep moving forward. Keep following Jesus. Stand firm. Will you stand with me as we close in prayer? As we close out our time in prayer, please remember Galatians 5.1. Some of us probably should use this as the home screen on our smartphone. Use Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Stand firm. As we close out our time, I know that there are some of us who you're standing into God's presence and you know that love for you has always been subject to your performance. That the way you get love is when you do right, you excel, you achieve, and if you don't, love won't. I want you to clearly understand that's not how God works. That God through Jesus Christ comes with grace. And he loves us. We're created in his image. And God through Jesus extends his love and his grace to us. It is not about rules in the law in the flesh. It is all about grace in the spirit of God. If you're here and you're struggling... Or you would say you have felt unloved. You're exhausted. You're tired. There is a God who will take you just as you are through Christ. And he will literally set you free. For it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Stand firm. I would like to close by praying over those of us whose love has been performance-based. Also, I would like to pray for those of you who believe that God's love is performance-based. I'm going to ask you to be open to the love that God truly has for us. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for the truths of your word. I thank you that these, this scripture was penned by a man whose whole religious life was about performance until he met you, Lord Jesus. And Jesus, when he met you, he found freedom. He found joy. He found patience and kindness and goodness and love. Lord, I pray for those of us who are enslaved. We are in slavery to the law. We are enslaved to performance love. I pray that in this moment, the freedom of Jesus would touch us. I pray for hearts that have been broken 10,000 times because of performance love. I pray that you would bring healing in this moment through Jesus Christ. And Jesus, that there would be freedom from that. And that you would heal hearts. And you would heal minds. And that you would heal souls in your presence. Lord, we choose to stand firm in your love. That it's for freedom that you have set us free. Thank you for that gift that we do not deserve, but that we receive by faith through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We're going to worship just for a moment, and then I'll come out and we'll conclude in prayer.
be shaken. We will not be shaken. We will not be shaken. And now may the Lord bless us, may the Lord keep us, may he cause his face to shine upon us, and may he give us peace and freedom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You can remain in worship. If you would like prayer, feel free to come forward. I encourage you to stop by and see Ben and Jess at the welcome table. God bless you. Let's worship together as we go. Against 
Jesus.
Thank you so much for your worthiness and your holiness, God. We thank you for the sacrifice of your blood that covers all of our sins, God. We thank you that you're with us. We thank you that if you are with us, who can be against us, God? We just pray that you'll be with us in this coming week. Help us to please you in all that we do. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace. All right.